All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writing to the Corinthian church here, um, a carnal church, had some things he needed to get straightened out. And um, Remember what he wrote to the Ephesians in, in chapter 5, and we'll read a little bit of that tonight uh, further on in the chapter um, as we get mm, about halfway through this first section. Um, he was trying to teach the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 uh, how to be a, a Christian, how to have a Christian marriage, basically. Um, these guys had all grown up in a world that was, um, there were the Jews over there, and then there was everybody else. And everybody else, and especially in Corinth, um, really had the wrong idea, really had a perverted view of everything. And um, we, we can identify with that a little bit. I remember when I first got saved, um, I had a perverted view of everything that I thought was accurate and unpolluted. Uh, until I started reading God's Word, and until I started applying God's Word, um, and using and, and allowing uh, God to change my opinion on things. And things worked better the more I listened to God's Word and did God's Word and used it like a prescription. Um, it got better. And my view began to change. My understanding changed. Um, you know, some call it brainwashing. And in, in a sense, it is. You, you get cleaned up, you know. Um, Christ cleans us up. He saves us right where we are, doesn't expect us to come all sinless and perfect. Um, he knows we're not, and that's why he died for us. And um, that's probably, a, that's when we know we need him the most is when we're the dirtiest, obviously. You know, everybody I think can identify with having a hard day outside somewhere or even a nice day at the beach, how great it feels to get into the shower, you know. And when you come out, you're like, ah, I feel like myself again, kind of thing. That's the idea with God's Word. He several times uses the Scripture as he washes us with his Word, um, even says so as much, that we want to be washed with his Word. And when we come away from his Word and we allow it to wash us, we feel like ourselves. We feel like what we were made to be, um, clean, unpolluted, um, the grime is off, basically. Um, and so that's the idea. So as he writes to the Corinthian church, a very similar situation as the Ephesians, they don't they don't know what it's supposed to look like. They, they think they know. It, it, but what they're about to go through, and even what we're about to read, is, is counterculture even today in a lot of ways. Um, people don't like this stuff um, today. Uh, we're moving away from it. Um, and, and, and that's because of sin. And, and I think that's important to understand. Anytime God is trying to bring us back from something, it's, we, we got to where we are because of sin, Christ being the antidote to our sin, the fix, the, the cure, um, is bringing us out of that. And um, we may have been used to feeling that way, but when we get better, when you start to heal, um, you begin to understand how God made you. And so verse 1, Paul writes, the very first verse, very important, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He's not asking everybody to follow him blindly. Um, Paul isn't saying, I want you to I want everybody to be like me. He, he only says imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. In other words, I'm the example set for you. And that's the way it is for any uh, leader in, in the church. Um, they need to set the example so that people can see, okay, I, I hear you telling me I'm supposed to take this prescription, but do you take it yourself? Why, yes, I do. And here's the results. And so they ought to be able to um, not only hear the, the pres- or read the prescription label, 
but they ought to be able to see the effects of it on other people. And Paul says you can see the effects of what Christ does to a person when you allow him to imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. He wants us to set that up right away. There's an authority structure that God has laid out for us. And uh, this is where it gets, um, you know, sketchy nowadays to teach this. Um, But um, remember where we stand. We stand in a place of being healed. We stand as sick people. Christ didn't come to save the healthy. (laughs) Uh, He came to save the sick. And that's us. And as I've asked Christ into my heart, I've asked him to look at everything in my life. David says that in his Psalms. God, I want you to search me and I want you to know me. See if there's any iniquity in me. He asks God to do that for him. Because um, David knew that he couldn't identify it himself. As far as I'm concerned, I'm normal. Because this is all I've ever known. And that's usually what we describe as normal. Normal is what we've always known. Abnormal is something we've never seen before. But Remember, Christ is what we're being conformed into. Christ is normal. Jesus isn't some ideal that's just unreachable and unattainable and just ridiculous to even think like that. No, he's normal. Jesus is normal. Adam, before the fall. Eve, before the fall. That was normal. To walk in the cool of the day with God in the garden, unashamed, having conversations with God face-to-face, that's normal. What's abnormal is our relationship with God now. That's what Christ came to fix. Our relationship with God now is distant. Our relationship with God, although he lives in our heart and dwells in us, I've never seen him face to face. I've never heard his voice. None of that. I've never experienced that before. We've been robbed of that by Satan. We've been robbed of that. So as we go through these sections, understand that as a worldly couple in marriage, you've been robbed of a Christian godly marriage. You've been robbed. And so what God's trying to show us here is now that can change. See, I have fellowship with God now. It isn't perfect. It's not like the Garden of Eden. I don't see him every day, but I do have peace in my heart. I do have a changed view. I do have hope. I do understand what forgiveness is because I've received it. Um, And I know how to give it out now because I've received it. Um, All these things have changed. All these things that were robbed from me, Christ has restored to me, and I'm still being conformed. So as we read this, I guess my encouragement to you tonight is, be conformed. If any of this rubs you the wrong way, relax. (laughs) God's not trying to restrain you. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to unrob you. He's trying to restore what Satan's ripped off from you uh, and the beauty of it. And so he right off the bat. It says, I praise you that you remember me in all things and that you've kept the traditions that I've given to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Whether man wants to admit it or not, their head is Jesus. Jesus is an authority over every man on the earth. Whether they let him, whether they acknowledge him, they're either just a a bad employee (laughs) or they're a very good son, you know. Uh, But either way, Christ is king. Makes no difference whether they claim Christ being king. He is who he is, and he is king. And so when he says this, the head of every man is Christ, believer or unbeliever, they just may not admit it. The head of every woman is man, just as true 
as Christ is the head of every man, so man is the head of woman. This is in a marriage. Understand that. Now, I'm not the head of, I won't even name a woman in this crowd. I'm not the head of any woman in this crowd. How's that? Because my wife's not here. None of you, I'm not over you in authority at all. Um, Understand that. Um, If anything, I'm a pastor, and if you, you know, want to listen, great, but I have no authority over you. I can't tell you what to do or how to do it or whatever. I can't help you make decisions. That's between you and your husband or future husband if you're not married yet. Um, That's for you. But in my home, um, I am the head of my home. Um, I'm not the king of my castle, and everybody's in subjection to me. That's not what he's saying. No, the entire responsibility of everybody in my home and everything that takes place in my home rests upon my shoulders. That's what it means to be in charge. That's what it means to be the head. The buck stops with you. You don't get to pass it off. You don't get to blame her or them or anybody else. It's just you, okay? Um, And so he says that. You're the head uh, of the woman. You're a covering. You're a protector. Um, She's under your uh, guard, basically, and the head of Christ is God. So just when we thought, you know, hey, that ain't fair, even Jesus has a head. Jesus said that it's, it, it's not robbery for me to say that I'm equal with my father. It's not robbery. In other words, I'm not stealing any authority away from God. I am equal to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all absolutely equal, but they have an authority structure. The Father's in charge. Jesus submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit submits to Christ. The Holy Spirit only tells us what Jesus tells him to tell us. And like Christ said, I only came to do the will of my Father, all equal, but that's the way it is in the home. Completely equal. Men and women are completely equal. There's no, that's not even an argument, um, that you wouldn't be able to have a biblical argument for that. They're absolutely equal, but God has set up an authority structure here. Somebody has to be in charge. Somebody. You could try to do a 50-50, but if anybody's had a 50-50 business relationship with anybody, and I mean not 49-51, but I mean 50-50, it doesn't work. Every lawyer in the world will tell you, do not have a 50-50 business structure. You have to have a 49-51. Someone has to have the final say. Someone has to have the authority. And when you don't, you run into problems, serious problems. You'll never find a company... Any company, even in this world, has realized this. The world understands that. There has to be a CEO. Uh, you may think they get paid too much. makes no difference. But remember, the buck stops with them. All the weight, the entire responsibility of that company rests upon them. Even with the board of directors, they're still in charge. There has to be someone that they can go to. And so, likewise, he just says that. It's a very simple th- thing for us to understand. I want you to know... And this is a fact. It's universal. It isn't debatable. It isn't archaic. It isn't an opinion. I want you to know that this is a fact. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. That gives us a clue of what Paul's talking about here. Why is he making this a deal? He's already told us that there's some traditions here. He's getting into one of those traditions, just about hair length. He's talking about coverings of hairs, you know, uh, of your head, excuse me. And, and these are some of the traditions that he's glad that they're keeping, but he wants them to understand that. But it's as if your head was shaved. Now, 
in Corinth, they had the temple. And one of the ways they would worship at this temple is the women would shave their heads and they would come down as prostitutes and earn money for the temple. That's what they would do. So the Corinthian church, knowing nothing other than that, there were some gals saved still having their heads shaved. And Paul's like, um, and he's going to say that here in a little bit, the final verse, verse 16 of this section, he's going to say the church has no such custom, so you know, we're not going to, make, we're not going to start measuring hair today. Um, but what he's getting at to these folks is, look, not only is it, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, but as you get changed from the inside out, it's time to stop looking like other people that you used to be, the people that you were delivered from. Such were some of you, he says to the Corinthians. I want you to be different. And so when you continue to shave your head, people get the wrong idea. You're still acting like you did. You're still dressing like you did. Um, things need to change. It needs to start to show up. It starts to sh- God's change in your life should start to manifest itself externally. Um, I'm, I'm glad everybody's saved in this room, and I'm glad they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case. Um, but a, a true believer, as James says, it begins to show. Um, it isn't something that's just internal. This is my relationship with God, and nobody else, that's fine. But God didn't save you to leave you where you are. He wants to change you. And so Paul's simply getting at that. Um, it's as if your, your head is shaved. When you're prophesying or when you're praying... Um, um, and your head is shaved, it's, it's odd, it's not right, it doesn't fit. It doesn't, uh, people don't understand that. Are you worshiping the God you used to worship when you come down from the temple with the shaved head as a prostitute? Or are you speaking to a new God? We don't want there to be a confusion there, okay? Um, so be careful about that um, with the shaved head. Uh, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, as he's describing this, um, he, he brings this out, this verse 10, um, because of the angels. As as it's kind of odd. We're not quite sure what he means by this, but we're, we're thinking it has something to do with Isaiah 14, um, verse 12, when um, Satan fell. Uh, all the angels saw Satan. Satan wasn't always the devil. He wasn't always fallen. He used to be, you know, same with Michael and Gabriel. He was of the same uh, class of angel as they were, from what we can understand from Scripture, one of the top three angels. Um, but iniquity was found in his heart while he was in heaven. And the iniquity was this, I will make myself like the most high. That's the original sin. Some say the original sin was at the, you know, just at the fruit. That was our original sin. But that's not the first time iniquity showed up. The first time sin showed up, iniquity showed up, was the rejection of the authority placed over them. Um, he was the most beautiful angel, it says in Isaiah 14. It says he was amazing and describes him a little bit. But iniquity was found in his heart because he said, I will make myself like the most high. So when the angels who didn't fall, two-thirds of them, are in our presence even tonight, we know that. Um, We know that each one of us has an angel from Scripture. Um, We know that they're always around us. There's always a spiritual war going on around us. We just can't see it most of the time. 
They're watching us. And so what Paul's saying is when the angels see you acting in such a way that would remind them of Satan, it puts them on edge, basically. Um, they see that. Hey, it's starting again. It's a common thing for us. It, it isn't about men and women tonight. It's about authority tonight. Um, it's about uh, Jesus having to submit to the Father in the garden. That was a moment for him. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There's two different wills in the garden, Christ's will and God's will. And, but Christ said, I want your will to be done. I want to submit to your authority, Father. Even though we're equal, I want, you, I want to submit to your authority. And that's our example. Men have a hard time submitting to Christ. He may convict us in a lot of certain areas as we're going through his word or reading or listening to a Bible study or even studying in our quiet times. God may speak to our heart, I want this to change about you. And it's hard for us to submit to that. Um, um, you'll dismiss it all sorts of different ways, maybe because it came from a sermon. Yeah, but that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I bet he sinned many times, so I'm not going to... You know. I sin all the time. I mean, not to disqualify myself, but I, I do sin, but that doesn't mean that what's being taught isn't true and, and can't be applied. Because if you're waiting for a perfect pastor to get up here that you're going to finally submit to God's word, then you're going to have a long wait on your hands. <laughs> um, we have a hard time with submission. All of us do. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, right before we get to that verse 21, when he starts talking about the women submitting to husbands, the first thing he says is, I want everyone to submit one to another. Um, see, Christ is the head of the church, and yet we see him doing what at the Last Supper? We see him washing their feet. That's leadership. <laughs> um, that's, that's having authority. That's what it looks like. I think we get the wrong idea sometimes about... Um, Men sitting in their lazy boys, you know, with the TV on and women frantic in the kitchen or something like that. That's, that, that may have been taught at one point. I don't know if you've ever been taught that or not, but that's, that's not biblical. The, the biblical is uh, Peter on his lazy boy at the Last Supper and Jesus washing his feet while he eats. That's, that's the picture of um, submission. Um, submit one to another. And so before we get you know, excited, he, remember what Paul's trying to do here in chapter 11 is straighten things out. Look, ladies, um, let your husband lead. Let him. Um, and that is probably the best way to put it. I have to let Christ rule in my life. He'll, he'll never make me submit to him. And, and husbands, you can't make your wives submit to you, nor should you try. Um, submission on your part to, to make it easy for her. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. Make it easy for your wife to submit to you because you make good decisions that are filled with love, concern, um, self-sacrifice. Um, you know, it's easy to follow someone who's living like that. It's easy to follow Christ because he was always providing them food, always healing the sick, always taking care of their needs, making sure that the disciples got across the water first while he was up on the mountain and, and so on. He was always doing for them. How are we going to pay this tax? I provide that too. He, he, he was always aware of their needs. They weren't, maybe they were, um, but he wasn't always looking to see what his disciples could do for him. The disciples were always, you know, he, he was always trying to serve them. And, and, and likewise, men, that's how it's, it's easy. Put your loincloth on and wash your wife's feet. It's going to be really hard for her not to submit to your authority. Virtually impossible. 
Um, it's a natural thing that comes from that. Look at this person. Look how he cares for me. Look how he loves me. Um, and, and so we see that example. So um, stop looking like the Corinthian women that come down from the temple and, and start acting like um, the Christian women you should be. And guys, likewise, um, make it easy on her um, for the sake of the angels. Nevertheless, verse 11, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So don't get too excited, he says. It's not like women were made as, you know, um, little servants pulled from Adam's side. You know, they were made, she was made from Adam. That's because Adam needed her. Adam was incomplete without her. Adam was lost. Um... Adam had to realize that, but that's the first time God ever looked at something and saw, you know, we need to make one more thing here, one more person uh, to, to, to complete you, Adam. Um, you're, you're, you, you need her. And so he does. But guys, before you get too excited about that, you can't point at your wife and say, you know, it wasn't for me and my rib, you wouldn't be here. No, that's, if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't be here. You know, uh, every man has come from a mother. <laughs> Every single man is always... So without women, guys, we wouldn't be here. So um, Paul makes that very clear. Uh, just ending that on a good note, it's equality. Absolute. Um, completely equal. Um, and, and perfect. When, when the two become one flesh, um, when the two become married and come together and let no man separate what God has joined together, um, it's, it's perfect. You have in Genesis 2, I think it is, um, I'm not sure exactly what verse, but it, it's the synopsis of God creating, not the details that he does later on in chapter 3, but the synopsis is, is God made man in his image, male and female. At no time does he say God made man as, in, his idem, in his image as Adam and then try to figure out how to make someone else out of him. That's not what it is. To have a complete picture of God, you have to have a man and you have to have a woman. That's the perfect picture of God. Um, you have to have both. And so when a man and a woman come together, you have a perfect picture of who God is. Um, you have all the feelings, emotions, um, empathy, um, and then you have all the strength and um, um, well, whatever else we bring to the table, guys. I'm not sure what more than that we bring, but uh, <laughs> you have this perfect picture of God when you see them. A godly woman and a godly man together gives you a perfect picture of God. So... Um, he makes us understand that here in chapter 12. So, like I said, let's read Ephesians 5, if you want to jump there. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's how he starts, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And he goes on to describe that. And so we have this other section here that Paul writes, um, he also, in Timothy, uh, when he's describing the, um, what, what's the requirement of an elder, they have to have a wife 
um, one wife, and the household of this elder needs to be in order. Because if you, can't, if you don't have your house in order, how, how in the world are you going to have uh, a church in order? You don't want to raise some up to lead a church that can't even lead their own home. And so that example needs to be there. Um, and then in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in 1 Peter 1, you can read more about this. And so but before you dismiss, and I'm not saying that you would automatically, but it is, it is common to dismiss chapter 11. You would have to dismiss 1 Peter 3. You'd have to t- dismiss 1 Peter 1. You'd have to dismiss um, uh, what I just read there um, in, in, uh, in Ephesians 5. A lot of it's all tied together. It's not just uh, an anomaly it's a, um, it's a principle that's, that must be adhered to for you to have a healthy marriage, to have a healthy life. There, there's a principle there. Um, it's like a law of nature for God. It's something that's a fact. Um, you don't have to live that way, but if you don't, um, you're incomplete. It's not, you're not fulfilling everything God's given you. And so he, he, he writes that. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And so you've got a lot of arguments in the church. Um, you have certain groups of churches that make you wear a head covering when you come to church. You've got to wear this little white cap. I don't know who decided on that. Um, why, why does everybody have to wear that? Why couldn't you wear a black cap? Or, or a scarf of some kind, or because we take these things and we don't, we don't read the whole thing. Verse 16 is the key to all of this. Don't, don't read it yet. Don't look down. Verse 16 is the key to all this uh, because it fulfills, it, it, it answers the question here. Before you get into that as a group, well, you know, honey, I've been reading my quiet time. You're supposed to be wearing something on your head all the time. Oh, well, I didn't know that. And as new Christians, you, you do. You want to do it. I remember I had this conversation with our youth leader. Jenny and I were just married, just saved, basically. And we're at our original church, our first church. And we were at someone's dinner. It was the youth leader's house. They had us over for dinner, probably priming us for youth ministry or some kind of Sunday school teaching opportunity they were going to give us. Um, and I asked him this question, you know, if God's word says that it's pleasing to him for a woman to have her head covered and for a man to have his hair the right length, shouldn't we do that? I mean, if it's pleasing to God, shouldn't we do that? It was, a, it was an honest question. I wasn't trying to put my wife under any authority, but I just, if I read that and I, it says that, shouldn't I do that? And they went into this long, 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 long story, 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 story. All they had to do was read verse 16 to me. It says this, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. That's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? So are we all supposed to wear head coverings? No, the church doesn't have any custom like that at all. Oh, which makes me wonder, Paul, why would you write all this down then? That's my next question for Paul. Okay, great. What he's saying is here, these are traditions that he started off with. We want you to start looking like you're being changed and transformed. Um, let that happen in your life. Now, your hair length is subjective. I mean, what's long and what's short? Um, just like in Leviticus, when he says that a man isn't supposed to wear women's clothing, that's the clothing of the day. What makes a woman look like a woman in that day, don't wear those clothes to look like a woman. In other words, if you are, is it Scottish people that wear kilts? 
Josh? Okay. So in Scotland, the guys wear kilts when they're throwing logs. I wouldn't tell them they need to put pants on. They'll throw a log at me. It's normal. It's fitting that no one looks at that funny. Now, if I wore a plaid skirt to church next Sunday, someone might want to have a conversation with me about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Todd's going, yes, I would, as a matter of fact. Um, And I should, because the intent's different. You see, it's a heart issue. Uh, a woman's hair, it doesn't matter long or short, does she look like a woman? Is she trying to look like a woman? My, my wife looks, well, she looks amazing with long hair or a pixie cut. I love that. Doesn't mean she's trying to be a, she's not butch. She's not trying to be a man. She's not saying, oh, come on, JD. You know, she's not doing that. You see Jenny doing that. Um, she looks beautiful either way. She looks like a woman because she wants to look like a woman, you know. Um, but if she starts to change and transform and want to look like a guy, someone needs to have a conversation. Well, I should probably have a conversation with her, you know. Um, I love you, honey, but, uh, <laughs> Did you really need to shave that into the side of your head like that? I don't know. It's the intent. Um, one of the ladies that was training me at Rogers on some stuff, her, her daughter um, had, had, I probably shouldn't say this, so well, it's too late. Um, she had shaved her head. And um, showed me a picture of her. I'm like, it worked for her. I mean, it looked, she looked like she's, it looked really good. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, wow. She was like a model, you know. It worked. She wasn't trying to be a guy. She just liked that style. So understand that what Paul's trying to get at is don't let guys start braiding their hair and wearing skirts. That's inappropriate. Be who God created you to be. Likewise, women have the hair as a covering um, for you. So it's for you. It's, it's to look right. But, but if anyone seems to be contentious, if someone wants to argue about this, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Let it go. Okay. So moving on, verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, so before I praise you, remember you start off that verse too. Now I praise you, brethren. Now here's the next thing. Now giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. He's talking about agape feasts. Agape feasts are our version or their version of potlucks. We, we, we call them potlucks. We come together and we have a meal together as a body. We do that once a month, but they did it more often probably. And they would call them agape feasts, love feasts, basically. I don't praise you in this, because when you come together, you're not coming together for the betterment, um, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, um, as a body of Christ, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. And there must also be factions amongst you, amongst you uh, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Uh, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and the, another is drunk. So he's not talking about the little flake of bread that we have and the little cup of juice. We're, that's what we talk about, the Lord's Supper. You know, At their meals, they would come together and fellowship together. But uh, the rich people would bring their rich food, and the poor people would bring their ramen noodles, basically, and they would eat that way. And so there's the rich table over there, big spread, turkeys every five feet, four feet, you know. And over here, you got a couple of warm bowls of water, and you know, wait, everybody's waiting for the flavor pack. They're going to split it, you know, for the ramen noodles. And, and Paul says, that's not right. When you come together, um, 
It's supposed to be taking care of each other. It's supposed to be, you know, some people are starving over here and other people are so stuffed they can't move. That's not how it's supposed to be. Um, He says this in verse 22. What? (laughs) Exclamation point. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? If you're going to do that, stay home and eat and drink. Be a pig there if you're going to do that. But when you come together, it should be for the betterment of someone else. In other words, why don't you take the ramen noodles and give them the turkey leg, you know, kind of thing. Um, he's upset with them for doing this. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So it's a rebuke. You guys ought to be um, starting to blend a little bit more. The unity that we have is in Christ. Um, we shouldn't be breaking off into groups. And I, I, I try to keep this as generic as possible, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit convict where, it needs to, where he needs to convict. Don't break off into groups because you're demographically the same. That's a danger in the church. That's what the world does. The world has the high society, and then the world has the low society, and then, the, then there's the middle society. In fact, we talk about it all the time when it comes to government. You have the you got the middle income, you got the upper income, and you've got the lower income. And it's, you're being described based off of your paycheck. And when it comes to the church, we come together because we're in Jesus. Um, that's why we come together. But you don't break off into groups because we have similar interests. Um, our similar interest is Jesus. Um, he wants us to have those conversations, which is that when we come to this building, we come to this place for this purpose. There's a lot of clubs we go to. You may go to all sorts of different groups or meetings. There's the Rotary Club, there's the Lions Club, there's the Elks Club, whatever. And you come together for those reasons. But when you come here, this isn't the Elks. (laughs) This isn't the Rotary. Um, This isn't anything else other than Jesus. And so when we come here, we worship Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we fellowship no matter how much money or, or lack of money that you have, that's what you do. And when you eat together, you eat with everybody, you know, and you share. Um, I like the way we do things here. I think it's good. Everybody just sets their stuff on the long table, and nobody really knows who brought what unless you happen to spot them, bring it in. You just go through the line and grab what you want, you know. Um, And everybody usually gets enough or the same. So this is good. Paul says it's not right the way you're doing things. You're breaking up into smaller groups based on other demographics. And uh, there shouldn't be any. You don't have any biblical... Um, example of people being broken up into different groups based off of interests. Um, They come together for Jesus, um, and that's it. So um, I do not praise you. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Um, And that's what we should all say about any of our testimonies. I'm only giving you what God has given me. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A lot of people think that the broken body, or this broken bread, actually becomes the body of Christ. They call it transubstantiation or consubstantiation, depending on what uh, group you belong to. Transubstantiation is when the priest lifts it up in the air, and when it comes back down, it's the body of Christ at that point. It changed miraculously from here to here. It looks the same, tastes the same, smells the same, but it's actually truly the body of Christ. They believe that. Consubstantiation is when they actually place it on your tongue. Once it enters your mouth, it becomes the body of Christ. Both are false. Both are untrue. Um, Right here it says here, Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still in his body. It hasn't been broken yet. And yet he says this, take, eat, this is my body. Is it? No, it's not. His body is handing them this piece of bread. It's it's not him. 
he's trying to let them know this is symbolic. This is, this is like my broken body given for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Um, he hadn't even done it yet. He hadn't even died on the cross yet. He hadn't even broken his body yet. It's symbolic. In the same manner, he also took the cup after, the su- after, uh, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, some people believe that when they lift the cup up and it comes back down, it's actually literally the blood of Christ. It just tastes like wine. You just can't tell. But it truly is the blood of Christ. So much so that afterwards, they can't just dump it down the drain. If there's any left over, they've got to save it. Um, you have to be careful. That's, um, it's, it's idolatry. It's really strange. And it's not what Christ said. Because is it his blood? He just said right there, this is the covenant in my blood. And he gave him the juice. Is it? No, because the blood's still in him. Nothing's come out. No thorn, no piercings. Nothing's happened yet. This is the covenant. In other words, when you eat this and drink this, remember what I'm about to do tomorrow. It's all about remembrance. Second thing I want you to notice here is he doesn't tell them how often. Some churches don't believe that you can even have fellowship or have a church service without having the little cup and the little piece of bread. Otherwise, you haven't had church yet because it says right here that you're supposed to do this when you come together. No, he doesn't. It says, as often, um, in the same manner, as often. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. It doesn't say every week. It doesn't say every time you meet. It doesn't say even once a month. I remember for a while here at our church, we'd have it maybe whenever we remembered. Once every three or four months. Of course, people didn't like that because they, they like to remember, and they should. That's why he gave this to us, is to remind us that we're saved through grace. And so we want to do this often. Um, so we do it once a month. Some think that that's absolutely wrong and that you shouldn't come to this church because we only do it once a month. Um, but they don't have a biblical basis for that belief. It's just a tradition that they have. And so they're welcome to do it every week. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. Have it every day. Have it at home. If you need it more often, do it with your family. You absolutely don't have to be here to do this. You know, um, Grab some juice and some bread and at, at home have some communion with one another as, you, as a family and talk about it. I'd be even, bet your kids would even really get it then for sure. You know, So Paul says, this is what we do. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Don't forget while we come together for an agape feast. This isn't just a feast. This isn't just a celebration. This is a, a love feast, and not the kind of love that we talk about, but an f- absolute perfect love that we got from Christ. So we come together in this agape feast to celebrate what Christ has done for us. So let's act like him when we're at the feast. That's all he's saying. Um, so verse 27, therefore, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What's an unworthy manner? Um, an unworthy manner is you know that the body represents the broken, or the bread represents the broken, broken body of Christ. You understand that the cup represents the shed blood of Christ for sins, and you know all that, but you reject him as your Lord and Savior. I just don't believe that believing in Christ is enough to get me to heaven. I reject that. And then you eat and drink. You eat and drink judgment to yourself. Um, you're rejecting it. That's trampling over the grace of God. It's simply saying it, it's it's... It's thumbing your nose at the Lord. I don't know how else to put it. Most young people don't know what that is. That's this. It's thumbing your nose at the Lord. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say, but I'm going to eat and drink anyway. I don't really care. I like to be blasphemous. He says, don't. Don't do that. That's an unworthy manner. He's not talking about sin. Sin should not keep you from the Lord's Supper. Sin should not keep you from having this time of communion with God. 
Um, sin is exactly why you have the Lord's Supper. It's why. Um, when you're a sinner and you know it and you come to the Lord's table, you remember why you're going to heaven even better. It's because Christ died, not because I did. It's because Christ shed his blood, not because I did. Um, and so you remember that more. So that's the unworthy manner is, I know what it means, but I don't care. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So in other words, don't just set the cup down, don't set the bread down, because well, I don't want to eat in an unworthy manner. I don't want to eat and drink judgment to myself. No, he says, no, before you set it down, why don't you just examine yourself? To examine yourself is to find guilt, to admit it. Um, you don't want someone else to examine you. You want to examine yourself. It's always better when you come, or when your kids come to you, or when you've come to someone and they don't even know you've sinned against them, but you come up to them and say, hey, I just want you to know what I've done, and I'm sorry. Um, I know I shouldn't have said it, but before you heard it from anybody else, I wanted you to hear it from me. Would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. Now, it still hurts. You still wish it hadn't happened to you, but you understand their heart is for you, that they're not repentant because they got caught they're repentant because they really feel like they shouldn't have done that. And there's a difference there. And so he says, why don't you examine yourself? And so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. Then, go, then you don't have to set it down. Examine yourself, find yourself guilty, accept the forgiveness that God has for you, and go ahead and eat this bread and drink this cup, and remember that he died for you. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Uh, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. We want to judge ourselves. It's, it's important. Um, I don't want to wait for God to completely convict me. I want to have my convictions. <laughs> I want to have my principles in place so I know that I'm guilty. And I can go to him and say, you know, I've done this. I've done that. Um, that time of communion with that bread and juice in your hand is real important to even go over those things in your mind, to judge yourself at those times. So I know that I have no judgment waiting for me. I know that I'm forgiven for all of my sins, and yet I still want to acknowledge them before you, God. I still want you to know um, that I know. Um, I don't want to just assume, you know. Um, I want to go over these things with you. I want to talk about them with you. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that I did things against your authority. I'm sorry that I didn't represent you well in this world. Whatever it may be, um, and there's something that happens there. Because when you eat and drink and you don't burst into flames, <laughs> you know you're, you're, you're forgiven. You know that God loves you. It reminds you, um, I can eat and drink. Um, I can partake in, in Christ's sufferings. Um, I can accept that. It's good. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. <laughs> I wonder what it looked like at their table. Some guy is just <laughs> chomping at the bit. Hurry up, bless the food. I want to be first in line, you know. And they all know who this was that would run down the line and grab all the, the pizza first before the kids could get to it, you know. Uh, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. That's kind of like a little threat there at the end. That's Paul's little threat. Uh, knowing him and knowing from what I've read, he's like, do you really want me to come to you? Because I'm going to come. I just want you to know I'm on my way. Because it's easy to shake your head and wag your finger at a letter, but when I show up, we still have enough boldness, basically. So he lets them know, everything I've just told you, take seriously, because I'm going to set the rest in order when I get there. You're coming? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm coming. I want you to understand this. And I want to test you. We're going to have an agape, an agape feast. 
And we're going to see <laughs> who waits for whom and uh, what it's supposed to look like. Get your hearts right, he says. Now, this is to a believing church. This is to a spirit-filled church. Um, I don't know why that brings me more comfort. Um, I'm just really glad there was a Corinthian church out there because although I'm not supposed to horizontally compare myself to other people, we look really good compared to them. (laughs) As I look at this and I'm comparing, I was like, man, we don't have those kind of people running down the line and piling their food as high as they can because they're afraid they're not going to get enough. You know, you're very polite in line. There's no elbowing or shoving and there's no rich people over here and poor people over here. I, I love that. So um, anyway, well done. But if in your heart, you know, things that are done that I don't see or that other people don't see, if God's convicted you in anything tonight, um, let, let, him, let him conform you. Um, maybe that leadership thing. It's a struggle for you to let Christ rule in your life and then to take the responsibility to rule your family, guys. Maybe that's hard for you. Ask God to help you with that. Ladies, maybe it's hard for you to submit to your husband's authority. Maybe you think you do, um, but you don't. (laughs) There's a lot of of ways to not submit but look submissive, you know. Um, Well, if you think that's a good idea, you know, (laughs) I submitted not really. Um, that's really not really reassuring to the guy, you know, with enthusiasm, with confidence, with love, with compassion, you know. He's got a tough role. God's called him to lead whether you want to follow or not. Are you make it easy for him to lead? Or does he, does he cringe every time he has to make a decision because he's not sure how you're going to look at him or how you're going to react to it, you know? Are you making it easy for your husband to lead? Maybe that's an area. Um, Kids, are you letting your parents be parents? Are you letting them, you know? Is it hard for you to submit to their authority? Is it difficult for them? Do they not want to have to tell you to do something because they know you're going to give them that sideways look or roll your eyes or embarrass them in public? Um, are you making it easy for your, kid, for your parents to parent you? Because they're called to that. They have to, whether you like it or not, they have to parent you. Um, they have to do what's best and what they feel is best. They may not be right. I know I've made countless wrong, a lot of mistakes as a parent, but I did what I thought was right in God's eyes. I did my best. Um, and thankfully, my kids have made it easy on me. But kids, are you making it easy for your parents? Um, or do you, give, or do, you make, do you bring grief? Do they hate to have to tell you? Because you know, they're afraid you're going to do, I don't know, throw a fit or something. Make it easy for your parents to lead. Listen to them, you know. There'll be a time when you won't have to listen to them anymore, and you'll be on your own. Um, And then you'll have to come and ask. (laughs) I know you don't want to parent me anymore, but I really need help right now, and they'll be there for you. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, chapter 11 is, uh, it's counterculture. Talk about swimming against the, swimming against the flow here um, in 2017, where, um, People are hyphenating names, and no one submits to anybody, and it's just two roommates with a piece of paper between them um, for marriage. God, we want to be different. We want to be. Uh, we don't want to be like the world. We want to be like. Uh, we we want to represent you. Uh, we want to be a Christian uh, couple. Um, if we're not married yet, we want to be prepared to be that Christian wife or that Christian husband. Help us to understand what it means to have authority. Help us to understand what it means to be under authority. Help us to learn what that means and, um, and then to do it, God. 
Lord, bless these folks as they go today. I pray that all the areas that you taught us in tonight, for our good, because you love us, that we'd actually start doing whatever you've showed us to do tonight. We'd actually start praying and working on it and uh, making a decision to follow your word, um, your prescription, and then looking at the outcome. And uh, so that others might be able to look at us, like Paul said, and imitate us as we've imitated you. Um, We hope that we'd be a good example. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.